Welcome to RSK's Digital Water podcast series. I'm Thomas Allen, and I'm the head of Digital Water at RSK's Centre for Sustainability Excellence. We deliver services to utilities, organisations and companies around the world, from water software and data analytics to consulting and design work. We've started this series to hear from those working in the industry and what their take is on the world of digital water. In this episode, I'm joined by Leo Kernan to explore the history of digital water, its applications today and what's coming next. This is part one of episode one, Fab or Future. So thank you for joining the first Digital Water podcast. Uh, I'm with my pleasure, my old work colleague, Leo. So I'll let you introduce yourself, Leo, as you've got a fantastic background, really interesting career. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Um, yeah, okay, I'm Leo Kiernan. I spent uh, 22 years in the water industry, probably. Um, my life didn't start in the water industry. It began um, in a really interesting field called cybernetics um, back in the late... 80s so i did an undergraduate degree in cybernetics which is like a the science of, of feedback and control and um, systems basically includes all sorts of uh, really wonderful stuff analog electronic digital electronics programming um, optimization yeah you name it really it's, it's a fantastic um, career if you want to get into it and then did a phd in neural network machine learning genetic algorithms um uh, MLPs for the tech heads out there, um, multi-layer perceptrons, and um, feature feature um, selection. That was my speciality, I suppose. Then spent a bit of time. I got into programming in that world. So um, doing the research, we had to. There were no libraries, so we had to write our own libraries. And uh, so um, I got uh, heavily into Unix programming at the time, and left. Got a job as a as a software developer with um, Tag McLaren. Um, they were the uh, the kind of digital part of the race setup that were doing the Formula One stuff back at the oh, end of the eighties. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. It was visual, data visualization, which was right up my street. Really, um, uh, there was a system called Atlas there, advanced telemetry acquisition, and uh, we were uh, running that for a few different race um, companies, uh, race teams. Uh, a few years there, and I began to I began to miss the modelling side of things. So I began to miss the what you're going to add to the data rather than how you're going to present the data, um, and saw an ad for um, a, a, a modelling role with Thames Water in the innovation. Where it was, I think it was the R&D team at that stage. Um, group called Decision Support Modelling joined it, and uh, really, really loved that role and uh, stuck with it. So I started off as a I suppose a junior um, do what other people tell me to do type person, and then uh, took on more responsibility. And 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 as as time progressed, I ended up running the team. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Actually, it's a, it's a it's a great great function to be in. That's where I first met you as well when you were in that in that role. And I wanted to uh, get into our one of our first meetings and some of the projects we worked on together. I did see that you studied machine learning back in 1997 and I have to admit I was a bit surprised how uh, that term was was kind of always been around for so long and it, for me it's like come up so much in meetings and conversations now it hasn't really gone away so what was uh, what was machine learning like back in the, back in the 90s oh uh, uh, it, it, it was just coming out of its first winter they talk about the winters of machine learning um, so uh, in the 60s people broke the back of how to um, or it, it made the analogy between Kind of digital computation and um, and 
neurons, brains. Yeah, they, they talked about um, artificial neural network. And then they ran into a techie problem, which is around uh, uh, linear discrimination. discrimination. Uh, anyway, the long and the short of it is they, they, they learned how to um, uh, train things based on examples, based on data, how to, you know, how to model stuff, but um, ran into a few problems and everything went a little bit quiet for, uh, there was a winter uh, of, of uh, machine learning discontent. And in the early 80s, I suppose, um, they began, they, 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 some researchers broke the back of how to um, uh, tackle these, this certain class of problems. And suddenly the, the machine learning um, world could basically model anything you could throw at it as long as it was um, um, smooth um, and 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 there was this blossoming so uh, when I was doing PhD there, there was lots of people on all sorts of different angles of, of, of machine learning um, and our networks were kind of embarrassingly small uh, but they were doing really cool things you know they were mapping color space so that you could um, print um, uh, you could, you could convert from one other space to another color space, or they, they were doing um, fraud um, detection on banknotes or image recognition. Um, I was doing um, casting, uh, time series forecasting with, with my stuff. Really good. Um, you didn't need to really understand the structure of the, the, um, the problem. You just needed to know that when you see this, um, you should say that, say that um, which is at the end of the heart of, of most of the things. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, it was it was really going somewhere. And my professor at the time was um, one of these. Um, uh, his name is Kevin Warwick. He, he was a, a, a far-sighted kind of guy, right? So he was bringing up things like the ethics of um, machine learning and stuff. When we were dealing with these little slug-sized, um, artificially not very intelligent. Um, there's a great not phrase. Big data, not big data. <laughs> Far from it. People were calling the phrase artificial stupidity in my department while I was doing my thing. Because <laughs> it wasn't very ambitious. Um, so so then it, it kind of all went quiet for another 10 years, probably, um, until the big data began to come along and big compute began to came along, come along. You know, all of the, the GPU type stuff that would allow um, big things that took, would, would have just been infeasible to try and um, train up in my day. Um, uh, but a lot of the algorithms stayed the same, and but the technology changed and the availability of data changed and the ambition changed. And then people began to get a bit fancy with the structures as well. So the, you know, the, the convolution networks for image recognition, all this kind of stuff came along. Um, and, and yeah, we're back in this um, new world where AI is, is, is really, I think it's, it's gone through the couple of winters of, of this intent and it's just genuinely a practical um, way of um, helping industry or business um, do tough stuff at the moment. Has it changed because of the techniques now where it's the kind of the model is training the model at the same time and, and that human element is it's been removed or was that always kind of part of the ambition when you were studying as well? Um, when I was studying um, there was there was self um, uh, um, networks that would automatically organize themselves, but they were just, but they had no direction, if you like. Um, and, the, and the ones that you would uh, train up for a specific purpose, everything would need to be labeled, heavily labeled. You know, you would have um, a bunch of examples which say, this is what it's supposed to do. And then you'd throw the data at it and make sure that it kind of got that well enough 
to 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 be useful but not so well as it was just simply remembering exactly what you were saying you know so um but but the techniques that are, that are coming out now are um yeah they're, they're, I, I look at them and go oh what a great idea Do you know the you know the adversarial networks yeah, the, things like that the um that latent space stuff where people are projecting stuff for uh, you know the large language model um type um ways of solving problems where you can you know, say okay language is actually like a hecky hecky vector in space which is brilliant so you can do stuff like take the word man away from king and then add woman and end up with queen you know there's there's something intuitively um pretty about that understanding of the underlying structure of language i know chomsky the the um, the, the language expert says there's nothing um deep about the tricks that the large language models play but they do do really useful stuff i mean chat gtp gpt have you played with that i think it was going to be hard to uh, record this show without chat gpt coming up in conversation <laughs> um we yeah, about a usually... little square word password yeah yeah we should play um bingo on these uh buzzwords and, and text but um yeah it's hugely hugely impressive technology from from my perspective from what i've seen it um be able to write uh both kind of in terms of its language but i've also experimented with it writing code as well which is um again i guess akin to you know someone writing it and then you critiquing them and then it going back and changing and it is it feels oddly natural having that interaction because it, it kind of apologizes for its mistakes as well if it didn't quite understand something and I, I find that a little bit um yeah a little bit scary that kind of feeling like it's a human yeah hugely impressive technology have you have you played around with it definitely it's not mr clippy do you remember mr clippy it looks like you're trying to write yeah <laughs> yeah i've used it for um I, I I threw so in my in my when I was working um, with Thames, I spent a lot of time studying leakage, um, water leakage, losses, um, and so I asked it a couple of um, really open questions about um, you know how would you detect leaks, and it came back with a whole list of really kind of useful you know techniques. It was talking about acoustic methods and uh, measuring the flow and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. changing the pressure of the network you know is, is remarkable really and i've also used it for coding as well as you say um there, there's a few plugins that you can get for um ides now and you can get it to comment your code and you can get it to explain other people's code and you get it to translate stuff that was written in one language into another language and um yeah it's i mean it's, it's not i don't think it's going to replace people just yet but it certainly accelerates it uh, um yeah, very useful technology. Absolutely. Definitely a conversation about coders and, and programmers and saying, oh, is it going to replace them? It's like, well, you know, I know, I know a lot of you know, coders that use information they find on the internet already, you know, through Stack Overflow and, okay, well, I need to write exactly. this code that someone's written before and I'm going to copy and paste it and use it in my code because, you know, that's that's the quickest way to do it. And, yeah, I'm trying to think of... of you know, maybe when Google first came on the scene and, and someone said, oh, well, you can't just Google it. That's cheating or that's, you know, <laughs> delegating yeah, it out. It's cheating. It's only an evolution of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Augmentation, human augmentation. Yeah. As you said, you, you started at, at Thames Water. And, and how was that uh, when you first joined as a company for, you know, embracing new technology or data analytics? You know, you mentioned you worked in the R&D department. Was it still very much... 
you know, innovation and groundbreaking rather than embedded in the business units or well, is it starting to kind of trickle down? Interestingly, so my um, part of the innovation department was like a proto-digital function in a way. We um, we were decision support projects, but we we had spun out of um, the IS department, the um, it's kind of a digital, pre-digital, whatever they used to call it. Um, and, information uh, systems. Is what it was. Information systems. So we, we, at the time, we wrote entire applications. This was when it was all set on. Uh, we hadn't reached um, client server yet, and we hadn't reached cloud yet. You know, so so we, so if, if these were applications sat on people's um, computers, but they did. So they had a very specific customer base. So it might be the um, the water control room who was wondering how to move the water. You know, how to schedule the pumps to move water around. It's a very specific thing. Uh, it doesn't particularly have to be on PC or in the cloud. Or, so it doesn't really matter where that problem um, is solved. But we didn't have technologies to put it up into anywhere big. Um, so there would be desktop applications which would um, do. Uh, uh, linear optimization of, or, or linear optimization of pump scheduling problems, you know, and, just, and tell them to do this, you know, turn these pumps on at the time, and you'll meet all your demand, and your reservoirs will be safe, and um, and it will be cheap. It will use as much little energy as it could, type thing. Uh, or it might be understanding um, water consumption patterns. So I know it's something that's quite close to both of our hearts. Really, we've been around the block on this kind of thing. And um, so we we, we um, produced systems which would slice and dice the consumption data, produce some typical profiles for annual profile uh, data profiles, and categorise um, different types of consumption, and and help to predict um, what people were using and where they were using it, and and why they were using it. So when it would, you know, when when the summer got when when the summer gets really good in the UK. Um, people tend to alter their gardens or fill up their paddling pools, or whatever it might be. So, so consumption goes up in the in the summer in the UK, and that's all understandable because of environmental conditions. So we had models that would take the weather and 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 say what um, it would be. But they would be all very um, um, uh, uh, standalone, is the shortest of saying it. You know, um, um, and because not, not like an integrated ecosystem no. of data flowing around. And... No, no, and it's lovely to see the integrated ecosystems coming. Um, but yeah, at the time, I, I was really with a bunch of really, really good people. Um, they were winning um, British Computer Society awards. I walked away from so the thing I was working on with um, the race car people was called Atlas, and then one of the first things I got given to, to to kind of babysit when I arrived at Thames was this trunk scheduling system and the two of them had won the British Computer Society Award both um I think it was jointly in eighty six or eighty seven, long time ago. But they were they were they were doing stuff with data, really useful insight generation and, and value add. Um when computers were the limiting factor, you know, rather than imagination. I think we're probably getting to the point where imagination is the limiting factor mm -hmm. nowadays. Yeah, and that was great. Yeah, yeah. So does that answer your question? So it was it, we were given it was even though we were in the research bit, we were applying things like operational research, and and the word research in operational research doesn't mean research. Yeah, it, it, it's very mathsy. You know, it's very applied. The military be using it, calling it operational research when they weren't really researching it at all. And 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 and, and because there was no narrative tool sets out there, or there was no um, 
technology infrastructure that you would have to fit in inside an organization we, we were given free reign so we could produce the applications and and the in, install them and that it came with all of the the training and the technical support and all that kind of gubbins the, so it was very very applied yeah you know, and we were researching consumption but we were using it using tools that were very practical for business to you know um and 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 yeah and it had, had very practical very practical outcomes as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, many of these things had such long legs that they, um, they, they exist in one form or, or another now. You know, uh, traveling salesmen, um, uh, meter reading, scheduling stuff was root inside that setup. That's one example that got farmed out into a proper. When I say proper, you know, a, a, an at scale corporate um, enterprise type solution. Um, uh, yeah, so so us was imagine I've got a computer, or you've got a computer. I've given, I, I've produced an app. You can use it for some purpose. Great, thank you. You know, and then along came client server, and along came cloud, and um, it just makes this whole um, technology more um, mature, really. Mm. That's interesting. You said about the yeah, imagination now being the limit, not the technology. So. Uh... I wonder how we uh, <laughs> help people uh, <clears throat> create more ideas and uh, have more imagination with what's possible now. Um, yeah, I think we spoke about kind of practical solutions to the to the technology or kind of practical outcomes coming from the technology where you were developing. I was going to say that's the one of my first memories of working with you at, at, at Thames Water and um, when I was in the smart metering team as a as a business analyst wow. working on the IT systems and, you know, very, I guess, very operational systems in general was the, was the focus of what we were trying to deliver, you know, work order management and billing integration and all that. But I always liked the kind of the side, uh, little, uh, prototype applications as well, um, worked on. And I remember, uh, working with a company called Vizy Cities, um, very like a one man. I was going to mention busy <laughs> cities actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob well, Rob Hawks. Rob, that sounds about right. Yeah, I I, I don't know where, <laughs> where where he is these days, or whether busy cities is still uh, still around or, or being used. But um, amazing like three D modeling, um, kind of application where you could visualize a, a city in three D. I always likened it to playing Sim City, but with real data, and um, completely. Yes, uh, it looked um, it looked great. So we, we plugged in um, about a thousand meters, um, about six months of fifteen minute data from household from all these smart meters, and visualized it in three D. And you could like play around with it, and you know pan over, zoom in, and you could see over time the changes. Fly around, fly around. Yeah. It was really interesting. I remember presenting it to you amongst others in the business, and as a graduate, kind of thinking, "Oh, this is amazing. This is this is going to be the best thing ever." And the first question back is like. It looks great. How does it add any value, though? And and it really struck me, like, oh yeah, these things need to like have a really practical purpose to to carry on getting funded and worked on. Just being cool is not is not enough. Being cool is uh, a little bit of magic. So th- th- honestly, that was one of my first. It, I probably was. I don't know. First um, real engagement with you, and I thought well, th- th- that is fantastic. You are, you were, and still are, one of the most forward thinking kind of people in in this world because um that i mean the water industry is quite slow really isn't it i mean it started off with boring concrete you know it's not born of a digital generation um and so uh, at that point certainly 
a lot of people in um, uh, that space were not imagining what could be done. And, and there you are going, look at this, look, look, you can do this. It is possible. And what that was, that was like a fabric in which you could drop your insights, really. So, I, I mean, I, I was blown away. When you showed me it, I went, checked it out. And, and that guy was, um, yeah, just imagining what could be done and make it possible on a, you know, in a web yeah. browser. And to be honest, I still... Stunning. I think he works with Synergy now. Actually. I still haven't seen... Um, which is great. You know, of all the metadata management systems and visualization tools, I've still seen nothing that really replicates that in the same way. So it's i feel slightly like it's unfinished business for me like one day i'm gonna get an entire city mapped out with uh, yeah. smart metering data in the same way right the reason the reason the reason why stuff like that is important is that um consumption uh, water's a super valuable um, and very precious um product uh it can be surprisingly cheap as well and mm. people can take it for granted you know i know people some people don't take it for granted when they have to go fetch it themselves but people who don't have to measure themselves just turn a tap on um, uh, very quickly begin to take this stuff for granted and um, can waste a lot. Really. And um, so this um, the, the, the water efficiency is 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 a, is, a, is one of those angles where everyone needs to pull their weight effectively. You know, it, you can't enforce water water efficiency. You know, it's a hearts and minds type um, statement. Absolutely. And in in the UK, it's it surprisingly dry per capita basically you know it, it might feel quite wet over here but there's an awful lot of people stuck in the um, southeast of the uk so um we water efficiency is quite an important way to manage water resources and to do that you need to engage with the customers and you need to engage with the young customers and that that kind of busy city stuff crikey you know you talked about sim city or you know, you know block world you, you could really um, demonstrate how, uh, I don't know, your street, how your street was doing compared to Absolutely, other people yeah. in a fun way, you know, that can engage. And, and, and then you'd get real traction with um, fundamental water efficiency type setups. Yeah. And that's a big driver for um, smart metering and um, digital engagement with customers. Certainly, I know in the UK it was very important, but, but out here in, in Singapore as well, it's a huge focus to you know, show people, you can't, you can't make changes to your behaviors unless you know what your behavior is. Right. So, um, yeah, no, yeah. it's like those dieting apps, isn't it? Yeah. The moment you see your weight dropping by half a kilo, you think, yes, here we go. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Smart metering is, is the future and feeding that back to, um, the, the customers so they can see what's going on really is, is that loop that needs to get closed to drive behavioral change. Absolutely. Yeah. And to make it more interesting and fun, you know, and to evidence what's really going on before you can get to the point of engaging, you know. Absolutely. And, and trying to integrate it with, with the wider system, because, I mean, you know, you think about the smart metering, the consumption patterns that are interested with kind of that customer um, customer lens on, but, you know, from a production point of view, and even from a, a waste management or used water point of view, right? You know, if you can, if you know what your consumption is going to be, you can start to predict what's the uh, flow of used water coming back into your network as well. Yeah, yeah, little trends. I mean, uh, I guess the energy electricity type industries or, um, are slightly ahead of um, the water industry, certainly in the UK, in, in, in the recognizing the need to monitor where, where everything's going and when it might be going. So that they're, they're 
um, they had meters. I mean, in the UK, we, did, we didn't even have meters, never mind smart meters. We didn't even have dumb meters. We just had pipes, you know, because people needed water. And then people realized, oh, hang on, we need to understand where the water's going. It's the... Uh, uh, how are we going to yeah. do that? Stick meters it's, on. it's the how supermarket with no checkouts, you know. It's like, well, how, how much how much have we sold of this product? No idea. <laughs> no idea how much people have bought it. You know, there are supermarkets. Have you, have you, have you watched the... I think it might be uh, a... a, a, a a very large company named after a river in South America, um, supermarkets now where you, you just literally log in as you're uh, uh, going into the shop and stick everything in your pockets and walk out again and it knows exactly what you've taken. So uh, once upon a time, check out the supermarkets were a crazy <laughs> idea. And now they're the future. Which is, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe I should use a different analogy now. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, some <laughs> Yeah, I need to get up to speed so I think we've mentioned uh, the word digital quite a lot throughout already. And, you know, my yeah. role as head of digital water, it's normally the first question I get asked is, uh, what is digital water? Um, and I try and explain it in a way that is it's a combination of IT systems, data collection and data analytics to help enable, you know, more efficient processes or more insight and make better decisions. So, um that's kind of how I, I start the conversation, but I feel like digital is such a, a generic word. And I don't know if you've had that experience outside of yeah. your experience at Thames and, and in personal life as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, digital, digital is, phrase digital is ubiquitous now and it kind of snuck up on me. I was trying to think where I first heard the word digital. And I suppose in the last 10 years, it, you know, people, but it added it to this and added it to that. And it's now like the, the word you put at the beginning of everything. I mean, we'll probably end up getting on to talk about digital twins at some point, but um, digital is everywhere. And I don't think, um, so if I ring around time and um, imagined this um, domain um, before the word digital, I think people would use the word smart, smart network, smart water. Um, and, and, and I bet you there'll be some people um, uh, watching this who who would say, well, it used to be pronounced SCADA, do you know, um, perhaps. But digital slightly more ubiquitous. It's bigger, you know. It, it, there's all sorts of things that um, SCADA was it, it, for the for the non-tech heads. SCADA is is like the um, automatic nurse system of of these big big, you know, um, water pumping stations or uh, or um, whatever it might be, um, factories. Um, and and smart has become a bit more fleshed out than that. It's a bit more several, you know, there's a bit of a brain stuck on the top of it. I know there's smartness inside mm. SCADA, but, but it becomes a bit more flexible. So digital has, has um, uh, um, yeah, really begun to be the, the, the right hand to the physical hand of, of the real world, effectively. Um, and in, in um, AI, you know, the, the people talk about wet and dry, you know, there's the, the, the wet intelligence and there's dry intelligence that our brains are the wet bit you know, and the computers are the dry bit, you know, and, and that, I think if you could have that, if you brought that analogy across, you'd be calling it dry water rather than wet water. You know? <laughs> but the point is, it, it, it's that bit that um, you wrap around anything that you add answer to or you uh, uh, feed into a computer system or you control at the far end it um, or you display you know digital is um, 
yeah, it's 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 such a universal statement and such of universal value that I kind of get why people say digital all the time now, and I think it's going to stick. Really. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm glad you mentioned um, SCADA because that's, that's certainly a big part of the um, conversation we have with you know clients here when we talk about <clears throat> uh, digital and digital twins and a lot of the sites that we're working on they have old equipment they have existing SCADA equipment and whilst I think ideally you'd, you'd say okay well we'll start from the ground up and we'll you know use IoT devices and you know these other kind of uh, more I guess modern um, solutions. The reality is, there's not always the funding to go out and strip out old SCADA sensors or systems. So I think, um, yeah, what we're really trying to do is connect our like digital twin platforms with existing SCADA systems and kind of use them in tandem rather than it be one or the other. And I guess for me, I've, I've always seen maybe because I worked in IT before, I, I see the kind of smart world and the digital world coming from IT and maybe not quite understanding all the operational sides of the world. And then SCADA coming from the other side, where it's, you know, people who lived and breathed operations, installing sensors to help their world, but maybe not appreciating the full IT side of the world either. And, and there's this slow, like, mesh of, of um, techniques that are coming together. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, there is that those two letters, IT and OT, are, are so, yeah, yeah. Through, draw, draw a line between um, uh, functions and and you're right i think that line is dissolving a little bit one of the most exciting things about digital uh, about the last 10 years i suppose around digital is this joining of a bunch of things which um you know microcosm might have been there inside something like a scada system you know there's sensors and transducers and there's communications so so what's being measured can be made available somewhere and there's screens somewhere that that can be can show you what's going on and there's people and then there might be some feedback loops but technology in the last yeah 10 15 years has has made um commoditized all of that and democratized it all really you know we're walking around with stuff in our back pockets you know those mobile phones that can um display anything you want anything you can imagine as long as it fits on a screen and, and the whole idea that you can plug a sensor in and it can register itself and, and align itself with some aspect of your and then read what's going on. I mean, I can wear a Fitbit on my wrist, you know, and I don't really need to get involved with a, a, a telemetry service provider to work out how to do it. You know, I just go, please, uh, you know, just, just. <laughs> and it knows, it knows what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It kind of fits into um, uh, one of the other buzzwords, edge, edge computing. Mm. Mm. I don't know if you've uh, heard of that, whether, you know, mm-hmm. it, it seems a little bit full circle for me, but it is, it's quite interesting where, you know, you, you, we mentioned about the, the cloud um, technology and how much that's increased our compute power. So, you know, you see a lot of the heavy lifting go up to the cloud and then people push the edge computing where it's like, well, you don't need to send the data back. Actually, the decisions can be made locally by the device. So it's kind of you, you, the computing has increased both on the kind of front end and the, on the cold face almost also in the back end as well. So it's uh, twofold. Yeah, really. I, I, I've been... I think edge, edge, anything that can be pushed to the edge, possibly, um, there's the real virtue in sticking stuff on the edge. So a couple of practical instances, you know, there's security, um, you, know, the, 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 you, you don't necessarily have to transfer stuff. Uh, a, a really good, for instance, is uh, high speed acoustic logging, I don't know, uh, transient logging, right? So you've got a sensor that can measure kilohertz. Right? And it's buzzing away and, and it might be telling you something that you really want to know about about transients when a pump trips and something bad happens i don't know 
you could stream all that up up into the uh, the webiverse and process it all up there but you're talking you know you, you get gigabytes of stuff that you don't really you're not really interested in between the interesting bits mm. um and yeah the, the, you know the te- there's technologies out there on the edge which say i'm not listening to anything interesting i'm not going to bother telling you oh i've heard something interesting you yeah. can come and collect me or i'll go and give it to you you know and and it, 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 it you can get quite i don't know what the word is um lazy um or optimistic whichever way you want to call it about what you can do with your data i don't know i'm going to record it i'm going to save it you know and, and we are in a a data bloat world um, where an awful lot of information mm-hmm. um, uh, is collected without really understanding how to use it. And I'm, a, I'm an advocate about collecting stuff because retrospectively you can end up uh, having an idea that will do something useful with it. You don't know what question you're no. going to ask in but, five years' time. But when you've baked <laughs> a, a question and, and there, there is a massive cost associated with um, the, the either the transfer or the storage of that stuff then the edge can do the work you know it, it can do the face recognition it can do the leak detection it can do the um, profiling or fingerprinting it can do the this is interesting or this is an anomaly i'm going to do something about it um on your behalf you know i think about in the in the smart metering context where um you know currently what happens is the system detects a leak and it sends it back to hq maybe you know three hours later that gets processed overnight and then the next day it's like, oh yeah we, we've got a leak and we should tell the customer well that's that's fine for you know the leak dripping underneath the uh, front garden but for the for the, uh, for the burst during the winter when you've got a vacant property it's kind of too late by then so yeah I, you know it, it relies on some new technology around you know automatic shutoff valves which which is out there but you know making that decision in real time without having to wait for the kind of the mothership decision on whether you had a leak or not. Um, I think it has huge benefits, obviously, for the customer, but companies like insurance companies should be, you know, really thinking about this as well. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, I'm an advocate of, of Edge, um, and I like that um, people can actually play on the Edge. It, it's accessible. It's not just stuff you can buy on the internet. So a hobbyist can can Edge mm. stuff, you know, they, they, they can have um, motion detectors in their gardens that, that, I mean, there's all sorts of examples of, of commoditized Edge intelligence, you know, when people places they shouldn't be, um, really useful for um, health and safety as well, you know, you know um, mm, it can, uh, and you can put smartness on them, so it doesn't just have to be a motion detector, it can be a heat detector, or it can be whatever it be. And what advice would you give to say water companies looking to like embed some of this technology? Would you would you encourage them to take it down prototyping or develop their own uh, innovation sure. team to develop it, or work in partnerships with others? Because I think the water industry is quite a unique industry in in the way it can collaborate in the way that some others can't. You know, there's maybe not that you know competitive nature of say the regulated market in the UK, where you know lessons can be learned from other water companies. Um, but in your experience, yeah, how would how would you kind of um, encourage companies to adopt this kind of technology? I've I've watched a couple of uh, generations of of this do- adoption um, within the UK industry, and I think it's at the point where it's um, it, it's proven in inverted commas that there is real value. It, it reminds me of my early days, if you like. You know, if I sat down with a, a client and um, I left him left to my own little um, world, we could produce something really good together, something that was genuinely useful to them, that, um, you know, that they knew their problem domain and 
uh, I knew how to get the computer to help them with that problem domain so we could mm. make sweet music together. Now, that's um, kind of established at scale now, I would say. Um, and I hope there's enough products out there in, in, and ideas out there that have actually come to life that I don't need to kind of justify that statement any more than saying there are really useful um, digital solutions that are helping people understand how to find leaks more quickly or how to move water around or um, how to understand their customers better or whatever it might be. So um, so the water industry should, should go for it. And, and, and that simplifies you know, how you go for it. So you can go for it at scale and you can go for it. Um, the, the, the trend now, and I see no reason why um, it should continue, is to um, cloud a lot of it, you know, uh, mm. get, get the compute um, somewhere kind of, so it's not your problem effectively. It, 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 it's a facilitation, it's enabling, it's a service. Um, and get the the solutions the products effectively um as a machine so the, this whole um kind of agile way of working that, that mm. has taken over uh, quite a lot works very well you know and uh, under the hood you need um the architects and you need the engineers the data engineers and you need the uh, the, the the developers and you need the the, the um data scientists if you're going to throw some data scientists in there um and you need the um clients you need the users plugged in right and, and so these patterns are fairly well established um i think now and i think they work quite well um and and because the water industry is taking it seriously like it is something that they need to productionize then um then you can effectively afford that kind of commitment um the product focused outputs can lead to tramlining so so i am going to produce this product and i'm going to produce that product and and they are logically separate um even though under the hood they they might share some mm. common um data sets or they might actually serve part of some common goal um that, that people mean, need to be mindful against that but um uh the but as long as as long as people um don't tramline themselves too much. They won't be stifling the innovation. Right back at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about, um, you know, imagination limiting, yeah. um, being the limiting factor. Um, and I, I think one way of breaking that is this partnership between the people who know what they're talking about in inside the industries, whatever they might be. They might understand the customer. They might understand how water moves. You know, the experts in the domain and the experts in the solutions so it's not a job of the um people producing the um solutions um to to come up with all ideas effectively yeah. and i i've witnessed some absolutely genius ideas uh, from people who could never write it as code you know, who could never make it happen who could never draw it other than a sketch on a piece of paper you know these kinds of things or even mm. they, they could never pull that trick digitally but um, put them with people who can pull those digitally, and that's when the magic happens. So the, 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 there's an awful lot of imagination untapped inside people who've lived it without the digital world, you know. Yeah. And uh, really engaging good. with them is, is 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 a really powerful way of, um, yeah, opening the box. And, and, I, and I've seen it exactly as you described, but the the other way around, that the kind of data scientist or you know data engineer not understanding the, the context of the data, producing this amazing visual 
and someone who's been working in the industry for a long enough just looks at it and goes i know that's wrong you've got this like the scale is way off or like you've obviously got some issue here and but you wouldn't know it unless you you know understood the data that you're looking at so yeah i think that partnership between So that concludes part one of episode one. I hope you enjoyed it. Please join us back for part two shortly.